Good morning, church. It's good to see every one of you here today, and if you're visiting with us, uh, we're glad that you're here to join us in worship of the Lord, and that's why we come. And you know, one of the things that, one of the statements on that little video was the church gathering in one place. And might I encourage you this morning that the church will gather in one place, all the church, when the Lord Jesus Christ comes for his church. The Bible says that when he comes, we'll forever be with the Lord. Doesn't that just get you excited? Make you want to stand up and shout. Hallelujah. Um, It's really good to see you today, and I trust that you've come prepared to worship of the Lord, who is God alone. And um, this morning we have one of our own uh, missionaries with us that's going to share with us for about five minutes what the Lord is doing in her life, uh, in her, the ministry that God's given her, and uh, we appreciate Sarah Nichols and her, just her uh, willingness to do what God wants her to do and go where God wants her to go. She's a great example to young people today. And I never take that for granted, Sarah. People are looking and watching, and we certainly appreciate what you are doing in terms of ministry for the Lord, and we're thankful that we get to be a part of that and supporting you mainly through prayer. That's the way we support believers. We have opportunities to give, and that's great, but, but believers need prayer. We know that, right, in our own lives. We need prayer. So we thank the Lord for Sarah. She's going to come now and just share with us for a few minutes. I don't know if y'all have ever watched the Oscars where people are walking up to the stage and they fall and trip. That is literally my worst fear every single time that I walk up to the stage when I give updates. Um, For anyone that doesn't know, I'm Sarah Nichols. I'm David and Melinda's daughter. Um, I'm not here a ton because I live in Orlando full-time and work as a missionary down there full-time with Youth with a Mission. Um, So Youth with a Mission is a huge organization. It's one of the biggest missionary organizations in the world. There's 1,800 campuses all over the world, and so I work at the Orlando campus, and I've been on staff there for about five years, Um, but when I was praying about, like, talking and giving an update, uh, the Lord was really talking to me a lot about it, and I thought, well, I'll just, you know, say some facts about Orlando. I'll say some facts about what I do, and then the Lord was like, he's like, no, I really want you to, like, focus on Like, why are you at Orlando? Why do you do what you do? What is missions? Um, And I was talking to Dad yesterday about some some facts um, just with, like, believers in the church. And he showed me this Barnum group had done a study that showed that 51% of believers in churches, I think, don't uh, know what the Great Commission is. And I was like, 51%? And then I started thinking about it, and I was like, that doesn't actually surprise me because there are a lot of young people in the church. I see my nieces are all sitting there and I have like nieces, I have 11 nieces and nephews. My family is huge. Um, and I was noticing, I was like, I wonder how many of like the younger people don't know what the great commission is. And so the great commission is literally the last commandment that Jesus gave us. It's probably the most important commandment because it was the last thing he thought of right before he went up into heaven. And it was to preach the gospel to the nations and to make disciples. And so 
that's what we do at YWAM Orlando. That's what I get to do. I get to preach the gospel to the nations, to the U.S., to Florida, to Orlando, the city. And then I also get to make disciples. And so we have training schools that help train people to get into missions. And that can be short-term. That can be long-term. It can be two weeks at a time, 10 days. It can be five months to years at a time. But it's a really awesome place where we have different training schools where anyone 18 or over can come. They can train. Um, we do all kinds of different teachings. We go overseas. Um, right now, because of Corona, we're focusing a lot on the U.S. We have teams in Alaska and the West going out and doing different service projects and evangelism. Um, but yeah, I just I felt like the Lord just wanted to like remind us that like the Great Commission is so important. And sharing the gospel is so important in this day and age, especially because Thad was talking about in the last service about hope and like worship was all about hope. And I'll show a video in a few minutes. And it's just a reminder that like Jesus is the hope. And, like, the hope right now in a lot of the world is, like, things. And it's really easy right now to become very, like, introverted and, like, about ourselves. To be like, oh, I'm suffering and stuff like that, which is true. And the Lord will totally, like, encourage us. But it's really easy to forget the Great Commission and to forget, like, missions and to forget the ministry and sharing the gospel and stuff. Because when, when hard things go on, that's some of the best times to share hope. And that's some of the best times to share the gospel is when those hard things are happening because Jesus is the hope. He is the one that's going to, like, bring light to this world. And so, yeah, I just felt like the Lord wanted to, like, remind us of that, like, not to be afraid to share the hope that we have. Um, and why I'm in Orlando, I get to do that. And it's an amazing, amazing place. Um, I know a lot of there's younger people, like, here. And so... Orlando's awesome. We got Disney. We got Universal. The parks are open. We have a lot of really cool things in the city, and I live about 20 minutes outside the city. You can see the Disney um, fireworks when they go off from where I live and stuff, but if y'all are ever in Orlando or people want to come visit, the campus is a beautiful 184-acre campus. You can come visit. We give tours. Like, it's an amazing place, and we do everything very, like, corona-friendly now, so we've learned how to, like, adapt with everything, Um, but yeah, but it's a great place. If you're a younger person, or an older person or middle age I don't even care the age doesn't matter and you are interested in like doing something different for even just like a couple weeks or doing something different for five months or you're always wanting to do missions but you've never been able to like come and talk to me after the service because I would love to talk to you my dad told me I have his gift of gab so I'm really good at talking <laughs> so y'all can come and find me after the service but yeah, Byron Orlando is an amazing place to train you to share the gospel. That's like their goal. That's what they want to do. They want people to share the hope um, that we've all experienced through Jesus. So yeah, there's a video that I'm going to show. Um, and also just thank y'all as a church. Y'all supported me since I joined staff at Orlando. I've been a full-time missionary for 10 years, but I've been a part of Orlando for five. And y'all have been there and prayed for me and supported me financially in all different ways. And I, it's it's such a blessing because most of my friends that are on staff with me don't have home churches that do that for them. And so it's, it's a rare thing to have a group of community of believers that want to like support and financially pray or whatever in any way and just want to like partner with me. It's a huge blessing. So thanks you guys. And I hope you enjoy this video. We've never faced something like this before. A time of testing and isolation. We can't even escape to the things we use as distractions. Families separated from families, friends only able to connect online. Do you even remember what it felt like to feel safe hanging out with others, to just live life? You were meant to live in community, helping you grow in the Lord and chase after your passions. 
You have a God-given calling meant to make you a world changer, which shows you have a part in the body of Christ. But times like this make it seem hopeless or impossible. Maybe you feel stuck, alone, or unable to take that first step. You're lost and you don't know how to find the right path. You've lost that spark. The silence and isolation of this season seems suffocating. The journey seems endless. Without a community that can foster your passion, you feel lost. But a new season's coming. A season where you're able to fully chase after your calling. A season where you're able to fully commit to what the Lord has for you and take that leap of faith. God gave you a passion for a reason. So you could change the world, not just to see, but take part in the next great revival. But no one can chase after their passion alone. You are meant to have a community calling you to your passions, a family equipping and empowering you for all that God has for you. You need people to help you on your journey. People who have been where you're called to go. People that will help you find your way. At YWAM Orlando, we believe that you should have a community that can help you become everything that God is calling you to be. That's why we run our discipleship training school. It's a five-month missions experience that will surround you with a community that will empower you to use your passions to share the gospel and reach the lost. Don't let isolation hold you back. Apply for the discipleship training school today. Stop letting isolation rob you of your potential and start using your passions to change the world. Again, thank you, sir. We appreciate uh, your ministry and what the Lord has assigned you to. And uh, we thank you for the update this morning. And uh, as I told her first service, I really appreciate her willingness to be led by the Spirit in that. And, uh, you know, when you're standing up in front of people, you can kind of you can kind of get uh, man-centered. And um, I really appreciate her willingness to um, be led by the Lord in sharing today and reminding all of us that we have the responsibility of the Great Commission. God has called us to make disciples of all nations, and we are living in a day and a time where the opportunity is abundant. People are looking for answers. And you know what? If you're in Christ today, you have the answer. It's Him. And so thank you again, Sarah, for sharing with us. I wanted to read to you from a book that I have. It's called Holiness by J.C. Ryle. It was written in the 19th century, and... Um, it's amazing that uh, the words just transcend generations to bring us today to just read a little portion of it to kind of remind us as believers that not only are we justified, meaning we've been declared righteous because of the righteousness of Christ, but we've been sanctified. We've been set apart for Him and for His glory. And so I want you to listen uh, to this reminder that he gives he says i have had a deep conviction for many years that practical holiness and entire self-consecration to god are not sufficiently attended to by modern christians in this country politics or controversy or party spirit or worldliness have eaten out the heart of the lively piety into many of us. Isn't it amazing, that statement, and how it applies even to what we go through today? 
You know, our concern foremost, guys, has to be the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you look at the early church, that's what they were committed to. And we need to make sure that that's where our commitment is. That is the priority. He says, the subject of personal godliness has fallen sadly into the background. The standard of living has become painfully low in many quarters. The immense importance of adorning the doctrine of God our Savior and making it lovely and beautiful by our daily habits and tempers has been far too much overlooked. Worldly people sometimes complain with reason that religious persons so-called are not so amiable and unselfish and good-natured as others who make no profession of religion. Yet sanctification in its place and proportion is quite as important as justification. Sound Protestant and evangelical doctrine is useless if it is not accompanied by a holy life. And so we need to remember that we are islands in the midst of darkness. We live in a dark, dark world. And the church really is. The church is the assembly of believers. We are islands. The question becomes, are we salt or are we being salt and light? As the Lord has given us the responsibility to make disciples of all nations. And listen, there are a lot of people out there right now walking around with no hope. And we have the message of hope. And we have the responsibility to give that message to everyone we come in contact with. And you know, I want to challenge you. I didn't do this first service. I want to challenge you guys that you would pray, and I would pray this week, that the Lord would give us one person to talk to. You know what? If you pray that, that's going to happen. He's going to at least give you one. <laughs> it's going to happen. So let's uh, pray together as we begin our service. Lord, we're challenged by these words written by J.C. Rowell in the 19th century. Um, we just uh, are amazed at how these words so transcend and apply to even us today in our nation. Um, Lord, there's so many people concerned about so many different things. I pray that the church would arise and be concerned mostly about honoring and glorifying you and making disciples. That we would stand out in that way. That we would not have a fear. Your word tells us we've not been given a spirit of timidity, but of power. So help us to trust you with all the days that you've already ordained for us. When as yet there were none, Lord, you ordained our days. We do not know how many days we're going to live on this earth. And we do not know when you're coming back. You can come back at any moment, but I pray that we are prepared, that you will find your church marching forward with the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we honor you today as we worship you in spirit and in truth. In the name of Christ, amen. Well, good morning. We welcome everybody that's here today, and we just ask you that you would worship with us, and let's bless the Lord together. Let's all stand. Let's bless the Lord. <coughs> Thank you. 
of saints below and the saints above, the church in earth and heaven. And we're part of the church here today. And there's a special song, Christ, Our Hope in Life and Death. And if you recognize it, we've probably done it the last three times that we've done it. But you know it now, and that's the good thing. This song today is being played all over the globe. It's being sung in church services all over the world as a special thing for the, for a, uh, uh, the Sing Conference that uh, some of our people are attending this week. And uh, guys, if you're attending it, this is kind of the kickoff right here. We're singing this song. It's a song of hope, Christ our hope in life and death. Let's sing this together, maybe. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone. What is our only confidence that our souls to Forever. 
is our hope. Uh, uh, we're going to be singing a song right now that usually the choir has done. They've done it many times. You know this song very well. But we've got to remember, there's a lot of talk about hope this morning. A lot of talk about hope. I read a, uh, I, I want, I'm going to, um, I'm going to correct what I said early in the er earlier service, but I, I read a statistic this week that said, it's done by LifeWay Research, LifeWay Research, and it said that 52% uh, of Americans and 30% of evangelicals, if that's what you want to call them, do not believe that Jesus is God. They think he's just a great teacher. Um, we have put those evangelicals in some quotes because I'm kind of wondering how they can do that. <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> they don't think that Jesus is God, that he's just a great teacher. Well, folks, if a great teacher died on the cross, then we're hopeless. We're here wasting our time. Let's go out and let's be merry. Let's eat and drink and be merry. That's what we do because it's hopeless. But if Jesus Christ is the Son of God, which I attest today that he is, and he's alive today, Amen. then he gives us hope. And Jesus Christ is the one who saves. Let's sing, all of us together, we're going to be a big choir today. We're going to sing this song together, Jesus Saves. Jesus saves, Jesus saves, 
told him in first service after that we'd just close in prayer and go home. Um, take your Bibles and go with me to the book of Hebrews in the 10th chapter, Hebrews chapter 10. In an article entitled, Why Attending Church is So Important, the author wrote, There are a huge number of American Christians who are not active in the local church. He, the author, goes on to write, If we are truly the church, which the church is the assembly of believers... It's a living organism. If we are truly the church, then we will surely get together with other believers regularly. No matter what we face. Because I will argue this morning, we need each other. God did not intend us to live in isolation. He intended His body to be together. He goes on to write, do not reduce church in your life to listening to a podcast. Which, remember, this article was written back in 2016, not this year. It is so much more than that, he says, it's community. It's worshiping with others. It's praying with others. It's being involved in the lives of of others. We need each other. We were not meant to live the Christian life by ourselves. We need each other. And the author of Hebrews is going to argue the point that they need to assemble together. Now, oftentimes, Hebrews chapter 10, when you come to that section, People say, well, let's go to church. We all need to go to church. Okay, I get that language. But those in Christ are the church. You get that language? Those in Christ are the church. And we need to assemble together. But I think it's quite amazing when you think about what the author says here of why we come together. Why do we come together? We come together just to sing songs or sit and listen to somebody preach and teach or attend a class or give our offerings. Those things happen, but is that why we come together? It's part of it, but it's certainly not all of it. In fact, the author of Hebrews is going to make a very strong argument that it's much more than that. Remember, we started last week with considering this question in this short series together, the question is, have you left your first love? It's a question that must be considered by us, I believe, on a regular basis so that we don't leave our first love. Remember, the Lord had told the Ephesian Christians You're doing this well and that well. In fact, they were doing a lot well. He commends them for a lot of things, and we'll look at more of that next week as we look at the remedy to leaving our first love. 
But when you come to verse 4 of the book of the Revelation, I mean, yeah, verse 4 of the book of the Revelation, chapter 2, he gut punches them. He commends them, but then he says, I have this against you that you have left your first love. That's strong. And it deserves and it demands our attention. So much so that I must ask other questions that might help you to discern and me to discern if that is something that has happened or maybe is happening. How can you assess whether or not you've left your first love? And we looked at some of the questions. I entitled this On the Slippery Slope. You may be on the slippery slope. And you may not even know it. You can be going down so fast and not recognize it. Years ago, I took a group of young people skiing. I didn't tell this in first service. It was a good story, though. Years ago, I took them skiing. North Carolina is supposed to be this great snow. It was just ice. I had never skied in my life. So I'm on this little bunny slope kind of thing, which is for little guys that are trying to learn, except I was a big guy trying to learn. And before you know it, Right? They're teaching us how to stop, to turn our skis in. Well, I was doing that. But I wasn't doing it right. And I was on a slippery slope, and I was rapidly going down. And do you know what happened at the end of that? I took three little older ladies out. <laughs> Completely. That is the last time I skied. I will never do it again. But listen, I got going, I started out pretty slow, and then I just kept rapidly descending to the point, and this is on a bunny slope, rapidly descending to a point where I just wiped them out. You can be on a slippery slope and be going rapidly down and not be aware of it. These questions might help us to think through this issue. So is there more of a longing for human fellowship than fellowship with the Lord? We talked about that last week. Is there a daily desire to be in the Word? And we talked about that last week. Is there a mind of praying continually? We talked about that last week. Is worship of the Lord limited to Sunday? Which I fear it might be for a lot of people. By the way, if you want to enjoy worship, man, start with your family. A lot of younger people here today. Start with your family. Start there. Your children need to see, listen, they need to see you worshiping beyond just here. It needs to be your lifestyle. And then we had other questions. Is there more of a concern for promoting self than the Lord? Is there more concern about the things of the world rather than the things of the Lord? And I think right now we are living in that. The temptation is there. To think more about the things of the world than the things of the Lord. Can I give you good news? The Lord is coming. And he's coming for his church. And the question becomes, how will he find his church? It's a question I can't get out of my mind. It's been there in the last five to six weeks. How will the Lord find his church? Is there an ongoing concern for the lost? We're thankful for people like Sarah who have an ongoing concern for the lost. She's a great example. We need to follow that example. Thank you for that reminder. 
God has given us a mission to make disciples. He has not given us the mission to try to change somebody's mind in regards to politics or the issues of the day. I'm sorry. If that's what you think, well, that's not what the Bible says. In fact, you do not find the early church involved in all that. You know what you find the early church doing? Sharing the gospel. And they lived in some tough times, under some tough rulers. And what was their mind? We're going to do what God says. That's what we're going to do. So I think the church needs a reminder today. We are going to do what God says. And as it relates to assembling together, we can do that. We know the challenges that are there. The elders understand all of that. We talk about it a lot. But we believe what we're doing is what God wants us to do. And we're going to continue to go down that path. That's why you have on your, on your uh, chair opportunities for small groups. We believe we can do that safely, as safe as possible. But at the end of the day, we have to do what? Trust the Lord. We can do that. But the question that I want us to consider this morning is one that goes beyond just today. Is there a desire to meet with the body of Christ regularly? This is not a question that you just answer today and go, yes, there's a desire. It's one that you must present to yourself on a regular basis. Because it is true that people come and people go. Did you know that? That happens in the body. I know it. I've seen it over 30 years of being in the ministry. People come in the door and they go out the door. And they go to other fellowships. That happens. They might not like the preaching. They might not like the teaching. They might not like the music. They just come and then they just go. And they end up somewhere. And people say, where'd they go? Well, they're in a fellowship. They're just not in this one. But then you have people that come and they go and they stay home. Question. How does that happen? Before 2020, how does that happen? How do people come And go and stay home. And you say, well, Thad, don't you know? People get hurt in church. Does that happen? Answer, yes. It happens. It's real. But are we given the solution to dealing with issues in the scriptures as it relates to other believers? Answer, yes. We are. So if there's to be unity in the body, which that's the whole entire body, Wow, you look at where that's at today. And then there's just to be unity in the fellowships, in individual fellowships. If I have an issue with my brother, I go to my brother. And then I do what? If forgiveness is needed, I grant it. If I need to be forgiven, hopefully it's granted. I don't know what Peter had in mind when he went to the Lord and said, Hey, how often, Lord? If he had the number three in mind or the number seven in mind, I'm not sure. But what did the Lord tell Peter? Uh, Hey, Peter, 70 times seven. Why? Listen, the application for us is this. The body of Christ needs to be together and in unity and fellowship together. So we know people come and people go to other fellowships. We know people... 
people come and people go and stay home. And that's sad. I do know some folks, believers, who've come and gone and stayed home and are still at home. Man, you say, what do we do? I think some of today might answer that. We want to make the argument this morning, we will from the book of Hebrews, that we need each other. But this argument is made beyond the book of Hebrews, and I just want, for some introductory thoughts, to give you a couple of verses where the Apostle Paul gives testimony to the fact that he needed the body. It's pretty amazing, really, the language that he uses. In fact, the language he uses in chapter 4, verse 1, that term there that he uses is found nowhere else in the New Testament in this same form. Notice what he says in verse 4. Whom I long to see. Long to see. It's this intense yearning. It's this intense desire. It's this intense craving. Has that ever happened to you with food? Absolutely it has. Have you ever just, on your way home, picked up that phone and said, Hey, babe. I'm tasting a steak today. Has that ever happened to you? It's happened to me. And you know, in all the years that I've said that to Teresa, she's never said, I don't want that. No, who doesn't want a steak? I mean, your mouth's watering at lunch when you start thinking about it. There's this intense yearning or craving for it. And until you put that steak in your mouth, you're not satisfied. It's interesting to me that and Paul has that same language. He just has this overwhelming desire to be with the body. Do you? I know I do. I love being with the body of Christ. Is it a perfect body? No. Are there issues? Yeah. Don't we expect it? We're not perfect. The church is not made up of perfect people, but it's made up of believing people. People who need to assemble together regularly, which leads us to our text this morning. It's hard to give, in the time allotted, a brief summary of Hebrews. It's one of my favorite books. It's a message about the superiority of Jesus Christ. There is no one greater than Christ. Do you believe that today? No one greater than Jesus Christ. He is superior in everything. He is greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses. He's the better sacrifice. He offers a better hope. He provides a better inheritance. In the immediate context, in chapter 10, the author is arguing that without Jesus Christ, there is no forgiveness of sins. <laughs> He's it. I mean, we sing about it. Jesus paid it what? All. And all to him we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Once for all. That's what the Bible says. Once for all. One single sacrifice for all people for all time. Do you believe that today? 
Well, the author is writing it with great passion. And as you come to chapter 10, verse 19 through verse 25, he begins to talk about some of those practical benefits of having one's hope on Christ and the sacrifice of Christ. Notice verse 19 of Hebrews chapter 10. He says, Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, so all those things that he just said, the hope that we have because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the new way that has been created, he says some very practical things for them to do. Beginning in verse 22. Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, look at verse 22. Let us draw near. Aren't you glad we can do that? Through the Lord Jesus Christ. We are encouraged to draw near. In fact, the author of Hebrews back earlier says, we can boldly approach the throne of grace. And it's all because of the blood of Christ. All because of the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he says, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And then he says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. We need to hold on. He's telling them, hey, and notice he includes himself. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. The profession of our hope. Let us hold it fast. Let us stand on the hope. Guys, the hope that we have a Savior who has dealt with sin once for all. The hope that we have, right, that we can be rid of the power of sin in our lives because of what Jesus Christ did, right? And the hope that we have that one day we will be delivered from the presence of sin to his presence. This hope that we have, he says, do it without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And who's the one who promised? The Lord. He's faithful. But then you come to verse 24 and he begins to talk about this issue that many entitle attending church. But... It's much, much greater than that. In fact, in verse 24 of this section, he gives to us the purpose of why believers come together. Why do we assemble together? He tells us in this verse, in verse 24, why? Notice what he says. It's maybe not what we are thinking. We don't assemble together to sit in chairs or to sing songs why do we get together? Why does he encourage his audience to get together? That's what he says. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. That's why we get together, to stimulate one another. How many times have you ever heard that before? Well, you hear a lot of people say, we just go to church. Okay, hold on a second. We understand what people are saying, but we assemble for a reason, according to this book. He says we assemble to stimulate one another. Some translations have stir up. This is a very interesting word in the original language. It's one that um, whew, is strong. Look what it means. It means to provoke, 
It also means to jab. It means to stir up. The word picture is of a sharp edge. It means to cut alongside. Here's the picture. It's the picture of believers coming alongside of each other and sharpening each other. Say, hold on a second. I've always thought church was just about coming and sitting and, and getting in this holy huddle and being comfortable. Like, I really like that part. This is like, no, who wants to do that? To sharpen one another. In fact, the word picture is the same in the Old Testament where you have the author saying, iron, remember, iron sharpens what? Iron. So when we come to assemble together, the author tells these guys, listen, when you come to assemble together, sharpen one another. You say, Dad, that's kind of rough. Yep, it is. You had people in your Christian life that have come alongside of you and cut you in love. And I'm not talking about cut you to hurt. But cut alongside of you, sharpened you, because they love you. You ever had that happen? I've had it happen many times. When I first started pastoring Springville Road in 2001 and preaching every week, I had elders cut me. You say, cut you? Where did they cut you? No, no, no. They came alongside of me and said, Dad, you need to study. Dad, you need to take a longer look at that. Dad, you need to take a longer look at that. Dad, you need to study that. Dad, you need to consider that. How many of you, when that's happened in your life, you're going, man, I enjoyed that. That's what they did at Southeastern when I was at Southeastern Bible College. George was one of my professors. He cut on me. He did. You know, one of the hardest things to to hear is that you didn't consider this when you're teaching. And one of the hardest things to do was to watch yourself preach. That was awful. But it was one of the assignments you had. You had to watch yourself. And it was awful. And, and there, you got to a point in homiletics where they would actually be listening, all the students would be listening to the professor as you're preaching. And you had to keep a straight face because every once in a while they're laughing and you're like, oh my goodness, I said something wrong. Listen to me. Some of the greatest growth times in my life have been when another believer came alongside of me and sharpened me. Was it fun? No. I did not enjoy it. But was it needed? You know, guys, I, can't, I could not think. This last week I was like, Lord, was there ever a time when somebody came to me in love and sharpened me where I didn't need it? I couldn't think of one time. So you say, Thad, that's why we come? That's why we assemble? That's what he's telling these guys. Well, why do we do that? Here's the answer. Notice what he says. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to what? To love and good deeds. Oh, okay, hold on a second. 
We're sharpening each other, stirring each other up to what? To do something, to action. In other words, we don't just come and sit here. This is not an exercise in sitting. We've not been given permission by the Lord to just overlook the body and go, well, I'm coming to church today. Did you go to church today? I went to church today. What did you do? Well, I sat there and Thad preached and, and I fell asleep halfway through and we sang some songs. I mean, if that's really what we're coming for, is that a part of it? Yes. The early church gave us exactly what they came to do. They came to listen to teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. But if you're fellowshipping, you know what you're doing? Cutting alongside. You're sharpening each other. That's the bottom line. You say to love and good deeds. Well, this word love here is the term that you know well. It's the term agape. So we stir one another up to action to love. Now, we always need a reminder of this term agape. It means... Right? To love unconditionally and sacrificially. It's love in action. And this is what that practically means in the body. If I am going to love the body of Christ, I can't skip over any member. You're like, yeah, that, but this person. Yeah, that, but this person. We don't have permission to do that. The body is one body. And it's made up of many members. And we all function differently. I mean, that was part of the problem in Corinth. Right? All of them wanted, they wanted the showy gifts and be out front. But the body fits together uniquely. And all of us are gifted uniquely. And so if we're going to love on each other... We have to have the mind of being, it being unconditional and sacrificial. In other words, they're first. So when I come to church, to assemble, then I'm coming to sharpen my brother and my sister. And they, listen, they're sharpening me, I'm sharpening them. To do what? To love, and look, he says, and to good deeds. The term good deeds means to... It's the idea of ministering to one another. So I thought, okay, if we're going to minister to one another, then there are three practical things that have to happen. Number one, we have to be here. <laughs> the body has to assemble. Right? I mean, if we're going to minister to one another, we have to be around each other. And even in these challenging times, guys, we can do it. We can do it safely. But we need to be together. So we have to be present if we're going to minister also, I wrote down the word observant. If I'm going to minister in the life of a person, I have to observe what's going on in their life. I have to be there. And when I observe, then I go, hey, there's a need. Which leads to the third step, a willingness to meet that need. A willingness to say, I'm the guy. I'm the girl. I'm the one, Lord. I see the need. I'm going to minister to that person. You know what's amazing is in the book of Philippians, there's a guy named Epaphroditus. Remember Epaphroditus? And Paul's wanting to, to send Timothy, and then he talked about Epaphroditus going, but Epaphroditus couldn't go, right? He was, he was sick, he wasn't able, but it says he longed to be with them and minister to them. 
I mean, there ought to be in our lives the mind of, I can't wait to assemble because somebody's going to come alongside of me and sharpen me to love and good deeds. And I'm going to sharpen them. You say, well, how does that look practically? There you go. I only gave you a sampling. The responsibilities that we have to one another. Guys, don't you like being a part of a team? You like that? I mean, we're a team. If you're in Christ, you're a part of a team, the body of Christ. I've always loved teams. I love being on teams. I play golf, and I know what I'm going to shoot. If I'm going up by myself and I'm going to keep my score, I already know what I'm going to shoot before I go. It's within this range. But man, oh man, if I can be on a team, like a scramble, and play and be a part of a team, even if we don't win, but watch a guy make a 60-foot putt, it's like, yeah! Right? I mean, it's just great to be a part of a team. That's exactly what the Lord had in mind, that his body would be one. And that would minister to the needs of one another, whether it's admonishing one another, or being helpful to one another, or praying for one another, whatever it is on that list. And this is just a few. These are just a few. There are many other ones within the scriptures. I like what Howard Hendricks says about ministering to people. He says, you can impress people at a distance. You can only impact them up close. That's a lot to think about. I have people in my life, and I want you to do something for me this afternoon. Write down those people in your life that were up close to this point, that have been up close with you, that have been willing to sharpen you, right? Have been willing to do life with you and help sharpen you. I made a list of men in Louisiana. Buford Sarver was one of the men that sharpened me early on. And the irony of Buford Sarver, he said, that I want you to go to Southeastern Bible College with me. And I was a junior in high school. I said, I'm not going to Bible College. He said, yeah, you are. You got to come for one year. I said, I don't want to go. He said, I already know your dad wants you to go for a year. I said, I'm not going. In 1982, I left Lake Charles, Louisiana and came to Southeastern Bible College. Buford came alongside and he cut. And Bill Miller came alongside and he cut. And he said, Dad, you need to come to Southeastern. I don't want to go. Same story. I don't want to go, Bill. He's like, yeah, but I know your dad and he wants you to come to Bible College for a year. I was like, yeah, okay. Finally, I just like gave up. These people leave me alone. Man, I didn't know this then because I was young and dumb. But you know what the Lord was doing? He was using them to sharpen me. <laughs> and Bill was a big guy. So I came to Southeastern in 1982. But I wrote down the... Uh, other men, Don Barrett and Jim Pence and Dan Cooley, the professors at Southeastern. So many men in my life that have helped to sharpen me. And so if we're going to sharpen people, other believers, if we care about them, we have to be involved in their lives. So the purpose is to assemble together, but there was a problem as it related to the command that was given These guys were forsaking. Notice chapter 10, verse 25. Some were. It says, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some. 
Uh-oh. So we have a problem. There are some of these believers who were not assembling with the other believers. It's interesting, that word assembling has the term synagogue in it. So these Jewish Christians would have understood that, right? The synagogue is where you go to assemble. Um, In this context, he's using it to address these Jewish believers. He says, listen, some among you are forsaking the assembly. He said, not forsaking our own assembly together is the habit of some. Peter Held said years ago, and I've never forgotten this, quote, is one of my southeastern professors. And he made a comment one time in a class that, if I remember right, it was kind of a family counseling type class. And uh, he said to all of us sitting in the room, he said, "Um, a habit is something that you form when you do something 23 days in a row. I was like, really? So it becomes a habit if I do it 23 days in a row. I've never forgotten that. And I'm like, well, you know, maybe there's a little bit to that. Because in my own personal life, what happens to you, think about it in your life, what happens to you as you are in the Word of God more and more and more and more? What happens to you? What do you want? More and more and more and more. But what happens to you when you take a season off? Tough, isn't it? Things happen during those seasons. Guys, we can't afford to take seasons off in assembling together. That's what was happening. They were abandoning. They were leaving. That word forsaking forsaking means to abandon or to leave. And so the question becomes, well, why were they doing that? Right? It's a good question. Why were they doing that? Why did some forsake? I think the context in the, in the book itself can kind of give us a couple of different thoughts here. First of all, there was persecution that was ongoing under Nero. That was happening. Christians were being persecuted. I mean, they were literally putting their lives on the line when it came to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, and we know that. I mean, Hebrews outlines that for us. In several different passages, it refers to the persecution that these believers were undergoing. So some of that forsaking may have been tied to that. But I don't know that the context itself right here doesn't answer the question as to why some were forsaken. I just wonder if, now that we understand the term stimulate, if part of the reason some were not assembling had to do with that very term. Because with it comes responsibility. And with it comes accountability, right? If, if I know as a believer I am responsible to assemble together, and when I assemble together, I'm responsible to sharpen. And remember, I told you a few minutes ago, when somebody's willing to do that and you're willing to do that, it hurts sometimes. But, you know, when you think about the big picture, the Lord is the one that is continuing to do the work in us. And you know what he does? He uses the body of Christ to do that. So it could be that just the responsibility to cut alongside and the accountability that came with that may have been some of the reason that they were forsaking. I don't know. I understand that the persecution would have kept them away, but I think in the context, that stimulate is a big deal. 
Well, he doesn't stop there by talking about some forsaking. Notice what he says. He says, verse 25, not forsaking our own assembling together. And notice that personal pronoun, our. He's including himself in that. As is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What day? What's the hope of the believer? The return of Christ. That's the hope of the believer. Are you sitting there hoping that today? Right? The hope of the believer is the return of Christ. But do you know what happens when Christ comes back? Do you know what happens? You thought about that? On earth we know. Subsequent to the return of Christ, on earth there'll be what? Tribulation period. But do we know what happens in heaven? What happens when the Lord comes for us? 1 Corinthians 3 outlines the fact that, along with 2 Corinthians 5, that every believer will stand before the Lord. Every one of us. To give an account. That's what the Bible says. And some of the things that we have done will burn up and some will remain. But we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Not condemned. Remember Paul's words in Romans? There is therefore now what? No condemnation to those who are in Christ. And so we go, hallelujah. But we will stand before him. And we will give an account. (laughs) So when we think about the day drawing near, we need to keep in mind that involves this. It involves being rescued from here. Hallelujah. But it involves being rescued to the presence of Christ and giving an account for the things done in the body. And some will burn up and some will remain. I don't know why you serve the Lord. And you don't know why I do. But we hope it's because we love the Lord and we understand the hope that he's given us And we want all the glory to go to him. And we want every individual believer to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. All for the glory of the Lord. So he says, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day. I think the the text just revolves around that day. Guys, and listen. The Lord's coming. He's coming. And are we ready for that time when he comes? And all the events unfold. The rapture and the tribulation period and and then you have Armageddon and then you have the return of Christ to the earth at that point in time where he comes to rule and to reign and hallelujah, there'll be justice. Right? His justice. If we're looking for justice today, fair and balanced, (laughs) it's not happening because it's left up to man. When the Lord comes, you know what? It's going to be perfect justice. It'll be awesome. But notice what he says in the first part of that verse. But encouraging one another. That word means to come alongside. It means to come alongside someone. It can even mean not only somebody walking, but somebody running alongside. So the picture here is that the body of Christ is to come together, to sharpen one another, to come alongside one another, whether we're walking or we're running, whatever part of life we're doing, we're doing it with other believers because we want the world to see something, that there's a difference in us. 
So this picture of coming alongside is very, very important. In fact, so important, I want to tell you a story about it. Back in 2011, in fact, on November the 13th, 2011, there was a football game that was played between the University of Tennessee and the University of Arkansas. <sighs> Say that one time, University of Arkansas, just make you feel better. Joe Adams was a wonderful wide receiver, but he was also a great punt returner. In fact, probably one of the best punt returners that Arkansas has ever had. And that day they played Tennessee, and that day I was watching it with some other believers here at Grace. It was wonderful because not only did the Razorbacks win, but this punt return was unbelievable. In fact, when you leave here, you need to Google it, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Joe Adams catches the football. And he starts running backwards, right? He sees the coverage team coming, and it's like, oh, I'm like, Joe, what are you doing? And he's running backwards, and he's kind of zigging and zagging, and then he kind of jaunts to the right, and there's this window. It's beautiful. And he is running down the sidelines. But if you watch the video, there is one going down the sidelines with him for part of the way, because he couldn't keep up the whole way. But it's the coach, the special teams coach. And as Joe's running along that sideline to the end zone, his coach is running with him. And he leaps, the coach leaps into one of the other coach's arms, or I think he'd have kept running to the end. That's the picture. Guys, we got to run to the end. And we got to come alongside others and help them run to the end do you get the picture you see the lord in all his love and mercy did not intend for us as believers to run by ourselves he wants us to run together for his glory and his honor not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together but coming together to sharpen one another. Let's pray. Lord, um, this text is just amazing to me and how you, in the context of really warning that Jesus is the sacrifice. He's the only sacrifice acceptable. Um, you just give some really practical instruction through this author to, to a group of believers who were suffering persecution and who really kind of knew what it meant to come together. And, and yes, Lord, we need to encourage one another and come alongside one another and love on each other. All those things are good. And we enjoy those things. But to come alongside each other and jab each other in love and say, hey, look, where you been? What's going on in your Christian life? You seem to be struggling. I want to help. I want to be there for you. Lord, you've called your church to be together. We need each other. Lord, I want to thank you for Grace Community Church and the assembly of believers here. And I pray, Lord, that we would walk beside each other and run beside each other 
because we care and love each other. We want to see each other grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. Lord, help us not to fall prey to being more concerned about the things of this world than we are about you and your gospel. Because our children and our grandchildren are watching. And there are so many today, Lord, that are out there who are a part of the body of Christ, but they're hurting, Lord. I pray you'd help us to come alongside of them and encourage them. Use your body to encourage each other, to stir one another up to love and to good deeds within the body so that people would know that we are your disciples because of our love for one another. Thank you for our time to assemble this morning, and may we honor you in the things that we do today in the name of Christ. Amen. As we close this service, uh, I'd like for y'all to stand, and let's sing on the song, Man of Sorrows. Sing about that old rugged cross. Sorrows, Lamb of God, by His own betrayed, the sin of man and wrath of God has been on Jesus' Silent as He stood. It is paid in full 
by the precious blood that my Jesus spilled. Now the curse of sin has no hold on me. Whom the sun sets free, all is free indeed. Oh, that rugged cross, my salvation, where your love poured out over me. Now my soul cries out, hallelujah, praise and stone is rolled away. Behold the empty tomb. Hallelujah, God be praised. He's risen from the grave. Oh, that rugged cross, my salvation, where your love poured out over so cries out, hallelujah, praise and honor unto thee, praise and honor unto thee. Thank you, Ron and Dave. I just want to encourage you with an, an assignment this week. I've already given you one. You remember what that was? Let me give you another one. Um, I'd really like for all of us this week to consider the body of Christ and pray about maybe somebody the Lord would put on your mind to encourage them, to come alongside of them. There are a lot of people in the body who are hurting. There's an opportunity, I think, for all of us to come alongside and to encourage the flock. And sometimes admonish the flock. One of the hardest disciplines that I've ever seen done is the admonition. And um, like I said earlier, it's never fun. You know, some people just need to be encouraged to be back in a fellowship. Because I know many people who have come and gone and stayed home in fellowships. And it's like, Lord, how can I minister to those people? Who are those people? How can I help them? Because one of the things I really enjoy about being a believer is being with you guys. I love being with you. I think we all need to pray for the church, especially during these dark days, that we would be islands, a breath of fresh air, in the midst of darkness. Let's pray together. Lord, we just want to thank you so much for our time together today. Lord, it's hard, these commands that you give us. <laughs> they aren't easy. And we can't be obedient unless we surrender to your Spirit. So help us to do that. Help us to recognize people in the body of Christ who... Maybe you need a phone call or just a card or just that some form of encouragement. But help us also to recognize those who may be kind of wandering off the path that we could help encourage them to get back on the path. 
Lord, help us to be open and sensitive to what your direction is for us, us as individuals and then us as a body. Lord, we want you to find us ready when, we, when you come for us. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us today to be led by your spirit, that we might encourage one another to love and to good deeds. We pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. You're dismissed.